0: this is the dreadful podcast on tv podcast industries we're here with part six of our penny dreadful coverage we're covering season three episodes one to three Fellow Penny Faithful to Penny Dreadful, season three, episode one: The Day Tennyson Died. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Darklings. Welcome to the House of
1: Pain. Yes, the Dreadful podcast. I am one of your other hosts, John.
0: <laughs> Just the two of us here this time for our coverage of season three of Penny Dreadful. Um, Will we start this off with uh, talking about the elephant in the room? I know there's no elephants in this particular episode.
1: Well, yes, that Ray has uh, left us for the time being. Uh, and it isn't
0: because it's season three. Nope. It's just because he has a very, very busy March. He certainly does. He certainly does. So he will be here for much, I think, or if any, of season three of Penny Dreadful. We hope to get him back uh, for our discussions about Penny Dreadful City of Angels as well. Yes, absolutely. He absolutely. has gone
1: sailing off to the Arctic, along with old John Clare, the creature. (laughs) Um, But he will be back. He will be back for City of Angels and hopefully maybe for the last part of uh, this season, season three of Penny Dreadful, which is as you described, the actual elephant in the room. Yes, yes, it is. Or the yeah.
0: elephant man in the room, dare I say it. <laughs> There you go, yeah. Getting on to season three itself, I haven't got that much memory of season three. I remember watching it, remember getting to the end of the series and going, that was okay. Um, it wasn't as good as season one or season two, but it's been a long time since I've seen season three, and yeah. everything I think I remember so far comes up in the first three or four episodes of this show. So I don't know how much memory I have of the end of the season, but I know... Among Penny and Dreadful fandom, this one is much maligned, let's say. Um, A lot of people unhappy with how the show ended. A lot of people unhappy that the show ended at all, because a lot of people are very unhappy when a show only goes three seasons, especially when it's only 28 episodes over three seasons, which well, is that's very short. short. Um, A lot of very beloved characters in here who get their ending at the end of season three and we never hear anything further about them so um so overall john what's your memory of season three no character stuff but generally
1: a bit like you um my memory is a little sketchy on season three Um i still watched it all and mm. i certainly have come into this rewatch with a bit more trepidation because i just didn't know how to um how to really kind of, I, I didn't have any preconception really coming into it, other than certain aspects of it. Um, You know, I mean, overall, this is much more disparate than the previous two. You know, mm-hmm. you've, in seasons one and two, you have the company of Malcolm, Vanessa, Ethan, Victor, uh, and Sembene mm-hmm. uh, working together, you know, and, and with Mr. Lyle coming in, certainly in season two. And um, that, Core nucleus has been effectively exploded, uh, around the Northern hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we saw right at the end of season two with the, the creature going to the Arctic, we had some Alchem going to, to Africa with the, the body of Sam Bene. Mm-hmm. And you had Ethan being carted off, uh, under lock and key to North America mm-hmm. with Inspector Rusk. So the company is no more and it's, not only that the has exploded, but we go to different parts of the world, very much focusing uh, after London onto the US. Mm-hmm. So um it, it does definitely change the feel of of the series compared to the other two. Yeah. And you you know, you do get a lot of um new characters coming into this season as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think some of which I'm really excited about um, after seeing the first three, for sure. Um, I I think one of the things is, is that it's whether they play out in the way that you want them to within the season. I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the other things I remember, you know, the great thing about the witches from season two was that with Madam Carly, we saw her in season one at the seance and in the final episode. Mm -hmm. And so Whilst they were a full part of season two, they were introduced in season one. They they felt familiar yeah. in that sense. So yes, I mean ultimately, I, I think I've come into this uh, season season three with a bit more trepidation, but I am still looking forward to it because I think. And certainly from the first three episodes, you know, the quality of the production, the cast and the writing is very much still there. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And speaking of which, the the show is still showrun by John Logan, and he has maintained ever since the show finished, because he gets asked about it very often, he's always maintained that his plan was doing three seasons, that he he had written it as a three season arc. That's why things like Ethan coming from America and always going to be dragged back to America was laid in in episode one of season one was that he was. Planning that at some point Ethan would go on his journey and we find out about his family and we find out about his history uh, that they would separate the company at some point uh, throughout this show. Now you know, let's just see. I suppose how successful it is and 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 how we review it. I suppose that, that how we rewatch the series. And let's see what our thoughts are at the end of the series. But so far, first couple of episodes, really enjoying it. As you know, if you've been following along with us on the Dreadful Podcast, we do cover each episode individually. We try not to spoil anything on the next episodes in case you want to watch one episode and hear each individual ones. But it does depend on how you're getting these episodes, because on our main feed on TV Podcast Industries, we've been releasing them with Roughly three episodes for each season, maybe two two episodes for the first season, I think it was, three episodes for the second season, and these three episodes for the third season, uh, covering all of the episodes together, I suppose. Uh, The original intention was that we were going to cover season one in one episode, season two in an episode, and season three in an episode, but we talk... A lot, as you probably know. (laughs) And we've ended up being able to put out half an hour to 40 minute episodes about each discussion of each episode of Penny Dreadful. So hopefully you're enjoying this rewatch before we kick into Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Really looking forward to seeing what happens on that show because it is it is completely different. They call it a spiritual successor. And John Logan has been very clear about the fact that he's done with Victorian monsters. He's done with uh, literary creatures or literary characters in his television shows so we're not going to see that side of things what we will see is the spiritual and the demonic side of things when we get around to city of angels so very little information out there so far but by the time we finish doing these podcasts leading up to the show i'm sure there'll be loads more information out there yeah
1: absolutely and i mean i think that is the best thing that you can hear is that it is a spiritual successor of the first 3 seasons mm-hmm. of Penny Dreadful given there is so much spirituality supernaturalness mm-hmm. and, and everything else supernaturality and, uh, maybe I'd, <laughs> yeah I was wondering about that I just but you know it's nice that he is still um maintaining that that spiritual connection even though the characters the setting uh, is all changing um you know I, I am hoping that he really pulls from the Native American uh, and the Mexican or the Aztec law, you know, all these things that surround, um, a lot of what has been, um, sort of amalgamated into certainly the, you know, the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. uh, within Latin America, uh, and, and within that Southwest part of America, which was under spanish rule and um, there are many mexicans there that have brought that culture and, and those stories and tales and traditions so i i think this sounds really interesting it's something that i find fascinating as mm-hmm. well um and i i think just coming back to season three then one of the things that i i couldn't quite fully remember was just that you know they do dabble they do dip into that native american spirituality mm-hmm. and traditions through ethan and one of his other fathers shall we say yes and um, so yeah really um looking forward to getting into episode one of season three the day tennyson
0: died Absolutely. Two quick things before we go into that. Just make sure you subscribe to the podcast on tvpodcastindustries.com. We do have a feed there for all of the podcasts that we do. Everything that we do goes in there. If you want just the podcast about Penny Dreadful, those are available on dreadfulpodcast.com, its own feed, which just has all of our coverage of Penny Dreadful. And finally, these podcasts wouldn't be possible without our supporters over on Patreon. If you want to support us, you can go over to patreon.com slash industries. We've been releasing all of our rewatch episodes of Penny Dreadful over there first, so you get access to those before anybody else if you support us over on patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries.
1: Yes, absolutely. So please um, spread the love by spreading the podcast through however you want to support mm. us, whether it is subscribing to the podcast over on tvpodcastindustries.com, on any good or evil podcast catchers such as Google Play, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, you name it, you mm-hmm. can uh, listen to our spooky tones uh, <laughs> on anything to do with penny dreadful
0: and if you are listening to us on any of those podcast catchers that have the ability to leave a review or a rating please do so and penny dreadful has been off air for about five or six years so putting out a podcast during a time when uh the the show has been off air for a long time means that nobody's actually putting up reviews for our podcast at the moment it'd be really cool uh, when we get into the lead into penny dreadful season four or penny dreadful city of angels as it is properly called uh, that we had a few reviews up there that'd be kind of cool if you could do that that would be so helpful to us yes thank you fellow darklings absolutely let's get into season three episode one the day tennyson died this episode was again written by john logan and directed by damon thomas this is the third of six episodes of penny dreadful that damon thomas has directed so another old hand uh, coming back for another new episode of the show excellent stuff (laughs) excellent john do you want to give us the summary from INDV for this episode sure
1: Ethan is a prisoner under Inspector Rusk's watch, heading through America. St. Malcolm meets a mysterious Native American while in Africa. Frankenstein gets a visit from an old friend, Dr. Jekyll. Meanwhile in London, the bells across the city ring out following the death of famed poet Alfred Lord Tennyson. As Vanessa goes deeper into depression, Mr. Lahr recommends that Vanessa gets help from a very intriguing alienist, Dr. Seward,
0: if... She'll be accepted for therapy. She is a very intriguing alienist or therapist or psychologist or psychiatrist, I guess. Um, Alienist was an old term that kind of encompassed all of those things. But the character of Dr. Seward is very intriguing for multiple reasons, really. Yes. Firstly, a very familiar face. Yes, a very familiar face. Who is related to the
1: other very familiar face from... Season two.
0: Yes, we'll definitely be getting into that. John, do you want to give us your big moment from season three, episode one?
1: Yes. Uh I've I've got the quotes, The Old Word. Oh yes. As Dr. Henry Jekyll visits Victor Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Uh for me, um, this is great to have this character in the show. And I love how John Logan has incorporated Dr. Henry Jekyll with Dr. Victor Frankenstein. Uh who are reminiscing about their old work? You know, the, these two come together very much as outsiders that really have something to prove to the medical establishment, mm. um, and they want to get to the old work. So you know, there is this suggestion that they know down which kind of maybe controversial lines of science and investigation they have both gone. Oh, definitely. Um, and I, I thought this was really good. I, I think again another great literary character from uh, the victorian period coming from the book the strange case of dr jekyll and mr hyde by robert louis stevenson and mm-hmm. um, you know and again really good you know that this is a book that actually you know it comes into uh common parlance in terms of that well-known phrase Jekyll and Hyde Mm -hmm. you know this idea of duality of personality um, that can exist and we get a lot of that here you know you think of Ethan being a a werewolf and then this very suave hustler cowboy Mm ex-army and you have Sir Malcolm being the the lord you know the the knighted explorer Uh, but at the same time in the evening is uh, hunting down supernatural Terrors and monsters. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of duality here. Yeah. It'd be uh, and an
0: it, for every character in Penny Dreadful being a major manipulation of good and evil together in, in their characters. Yeah. Exactly. And it, the, the book looks
1: at that duality of, of personality, good and evil. Can they coexist together um, within a single person that someone can be both good and evil, uh, have their, you know, light and dark sides, or are the light and dark sides forever to be dominant and be the only thing mm. here um and and that they are actually separated they become separated and this is a conversation that um Henry Jekyll has with Victor yeah. Frankenstein it, it, it's really really useful i think it also a- applies more generally to the public and private faces of people what they show to the the public say like dorian gray mm-hmm. and actually then how he is in private and certainly very privately with respect to the portrait yeah. uh, in his little hidey hole. Um, <laughs> but I, I love that both men are catching up on their work and their visions to effectively prove this established scientific order wrong, you know, and they all come. It, it comes to this crucible, uh, this pact that they have around Lily in the sense that Victor Openly tells Henry Jekyll that he has succeeded. He has created life. He has reanimated the biological body. Mm-hmm. But you really get the sense from Victor and, and Dr. Jekyll really understands Victor. You see this, you can see that they obviously grew up in boarding school together, went to university together, had this kind of outsider relationship that he sees the romantic Victor. He knows that Victor is as much uh embedded within the the romantic poets of the day as he is with his very hard uh and objective science. You know he very much amalgamates these two together here, mm-hmm. uh, but they come together with this pact to either change Lily using um Dr. Jekylls. Uh, root of controversial science and and medicine that he can change people's behavior or that they will ultimately destroy her. Um, and you, you get Dr. Jekyll saying, Victor, you don't want to kill her. You want to love her, mm-hmm. uh, but the love has been rejected. Yeah. And uh, he realizes what he has created. And there is that nice moment where he, um, is kind of spying on, it's not a nice moment, I suppose, <laughs> in that sense, but he, you know, he's infatuated with her. He, he's spying on her at Dorian Gray's London residence and, and she comes out and she's very, I mean, in a sense, she feels sorry for him um, and tells him just to, to go away and don't come here again. You shouldn't be here. And, you know, she has... um she has made that break from her creator yeah. uh, and doesn't particularly want to have anything to do with him. So I, I really uh, like the fact that these two are coming together effectively to fight Lily, but to try and change her initially, and if not, to destroy her. And yeah. um, So, uh, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting moment for for these two. And obviously... Uh, knowing this as the audience, you're kind of thinking, okay, how will Lily react to this? You know, is she in danger or mm-hmm. or not, or is she growing ever more powerful?
0: Well, absolutely. You know, the the whole idea of it, really, from Victor is that he wants to put the shackles back on Lily and turn her back into something that she's grown beyond. As we saw at the end of season two, she is now her own person and has now moved on with life completely differently to the character that Victor fell in love with. But all he wants to do is effectively trap her inside a relationship with him and if he can use the skills of uh, dr jekyll he's going to do it you know um i really like the idea because it, as you mentioned it, it sounds like they went to school together so you you get this idea that the two of them would have been working in science labs till two o'clock in the morning three o'clock in the yeah, morning exactly you know trading ideas with each other as to how to uh, control um the human psyche in, in jekyll's case how you would uh, calm down someone that's that's uh that anger is overtaking them and then you'd have um, Victor Frankenstein sharing the concept that he wants to break the veil between life and death and wants to keep people alive and resurrect people Uh, and then they come back together here and they're both have had major breakthroughs in their own scientific research. Uh, I just love the idea that these two uh, could have been talking about this at night when they were 15, 16 years old, going through their, going through their education studies. And now they're coming back together to use each other's friendship to get what they want.
1: Yeah. And they've not forgotten any of it. You know, Victor calls out, um, Jekyll with, you know, the anger and rage that was within, within inside you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he, he Doctor Jekyll says, "I've learned to control it, tame the beast within." Again, coming to that duality element, mm-hmm. um, you know, controlling uh, the chemical impulses of the brain. Um, but I think, you, yeah, you get this sense of them being very competitive towards one another. But because they're both outsiders, partly with Doctor Jekyll because he's Indian uh, within. an an indian in london in in white dominated london Mm. and and victor is this socially awkward person but just you know despite this um being away from one another you know dr jekyll henry jekyll sees that victor is spiraling you know he's asking for his help even henry jekyll is you know love work and narcotics were to begin victor because he sees the puncture marks on on victor's arms so i think initially this is such a great meeting of two characters but ones that have a history that john logan has brought here um Dr. Jekyll is played by Shazad Latif, who has a Star Trek connection. He played ash tyler on star trek discovery um who basically also had a lot of issues about uh identity and duality in that character uh, yes um i won't do any spoilers but certainly uh yes there was uh, two sides to uh his character the Janus of um
0: star trek discovery shall mm-hmm. we say
1: interesting That's
0: um, <laughs> an interesting way to put it yeah we didn't cover star trek discovery so we're not going to spoil it on the podcast but definitely go check it out it's an excellent a uh, couple of seasons of that show so far, really looking forward to seeing more of it. And Shazad Latif is fantastic in that show; he's really, really good yeah. uh, in the role that he has in there, and really good here. You know, he does play that that uh, character on the brink of losing his his uh, his temper quite often. You know, as you may know, we also did a Marvel podcast. There's also a major connection here with the creation of the character, the Incredible Hulk, from Marvel Comics. You know, that's exactly how that character is played all the time, as he's on the edge of losing control and letting his version of Hyde take him over as well. So, so it's something we've seen for many, many years in various versions of pop culture and TV and books, but this is the original. And I'm, I'm intrigued to see how he's being used in this show. You know, The original version of Frankenstein did have him working with other uh, medical professionals and other scientists as well to try and perfect his version of Frankenstein. So the idea that you take another literary character and have him working together on this problem that Victor Frankenstein has just makes a lot of sense. It's kind of cool to have uh, to have them connected this way.
1: Absolutely. And also, I'm slightly stealing from episode two here of this season, but I like how John Logan sort of layers in the contextual Victorian London element here. So Dr. Jekyll is working at Bedlam, which is the great Victorian psychiatric asylum and laboratory mm. um, that we've seen in in plenty. Again, another term that has come into parlance um, mm-hmm. and uh is is you know is famous uh, in many different horror areas because of this idea of um the the asylum, you know, and people uh, effectively not being themselves, and um, because yeah. of of the the misfiring of synapses and so on. Uh, but most m- most notably uh, with Boris Karloff from the 1946 film Bedlam, there you go. and Bedlam is a corruption of Bethlehem, which is itself a corruption of Bethlehem. Right. So there's corruption after corruption <laughs> after corruption of yes. where he works with corrupted minds, effectively yeah. in that sense. I mean. That's maybe slightly unfair on the poor uh, inmates at the asylum, mm-hmm. but you know it, it's but that idea. The, concept of the people in Victorian era would have thought that exactly. It, uh, it's that idea that the brain has been corrupted like a computer. You know, there's something not working correctly, and there is this outward, um you know, very very much again, Doctor Jekyll working with what the society considers to be misfits mm-hmm. at the time of varying degrees of severity in the same way that Victor being the um, the, the butcher that, that prepares the cadavers for medical school, working in that very sort of lonesome, socially um, awkward and outside of the normal day-to-day. Mm-hmm. So these two are like peas in a pod in Absolutely. that sense.
0: Absolutely. Uh, one of the corruption of Bethlehem, is uh, said to be one of the inspirations uh, for Arkham Asylum from Batman as well. So uh, the place where all of the inmates are housed in, in, uh, the city of Gotham and Batman is supposed to be based on Beth- Bethlehem as well. So, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the world is going to Bethlehem at the moment. <laughs> it may not be with this episode. It comes might out, not be, as of I, I like to uh, to point out. John, do you have anything left on your point about Doctor Henry Jekyll? No, I I think just you know I
1: really uh, enjoy this character. Mm-hmm. I love that he's been paired with Victor Frankenstein here. The two of them get peppered through these first three episodes, and I just wanted to bring it in here on episode one because. Yeah. Um, Jekyll and Hyde is one of
0: my favorite books mm-hmm. of, of this period. Yes, yeah, very cool. Very cool. Uh, my major moment from the episode that I wanted to talk about really is the meeting of Vanessa Ives and Dr. Seward. Um, just the starting of the season, effectively, as you mentioned earlier on, John, uh, Sir Malcolm has gone taking the body of some Bene away and leaving Vanessa in his home in the Murray household uh, back in London. Um, seeing her broken and the house effectively just destroyed um, while she's left alone. She's not able to get herself out of bed. She's having parcels of food being delivered to the house. And you see how ravenously she's eating them when she, when she's given the milk, I think uh, is yeah. what she takes first and just pours it all down her throat because she probably hasn't eaten in days. Uh, and it's Mr. Lyle that comes back to help her out and sends her to this therapist, someone that helped him out and helped him accept himself is the only kind of description we get as to what, he went through, what Mr. Lyle went through, but he says that she's massively successful in what she has done for him, and hopefully she'll be able to help Vanessa out, even though he knows that it's going to be talking about supernatural things, things that most people wouldn't possibly believe. Remember, Vanessa has already been committed once for talking about the fact that she had supernatural experiences, so the idea that she would go and see a therapist at all is probably terrifying to her. What if she never comes out of that that room again you know what if she's going to be sent off to another um another asylum because of talking to somebody about the things that are going on in her mind so i love how we have the introduction of this character of dr seward when vanessa comes into her because vanessa is so standoffish with her yeah. and she's also poking her with a stick to see if she can push her very far before she tells her anything about Uh, what's been going on in the past you know and she says to her that i can't tell you these things or else you'll you'll wake up screaming at night uh just by hearing the things that i've gone through kind of thing so uh a very familiar face as we mentioned uh, at the intro to this episode patty lapone one of our favorite character actors uh in this show anyway the the character that she played of joan clayton was a massive standout for the one episode that she had so having her back here and having vanessa instantly recognize you know it's one of those ones where you go I'm sure that we had John Logan looking at her performance and going, she's coming back. We're definitely getting her back. I don't care how we're going to do it. We'll have to write it in there somehow. But addressing it at least in the opening moments where... Vanessa's kind of going instantly has a little bit of trust for her because Joan Clayton was somebody that was that she had a lot of love for by the end, um, but yep. knows that she was harsh, but fair with her um, and then kind of calls out the name Joan Clayton to Dr. Seward, who instantly goes, I, how could I possibly know that person? How could I possibly have spent any time with her? She's a a, a distant ancestor. So hundreds of years before Dr. Seward had arrived in the UK and arrived in, in England this person existed. So she says they are our great ancestors from up north, effectively. So, uh, so it's, it's another kind of tying on the fact that Joan Clayton is centuries old or was centuries old yeah. when she, when she eventually died. But the idea that Vanessa couldn't possibly know anything about her. So that's intriguing to Dr. Seward. So again, I, I just like the kind of game the two of them are playing with each other. Oh, definitely. Um, Dr. Seward not giving anything. I love her, her mention to her. I'm not your husband. I'm not your doctor, but you are here to get well. If you agree with that, if you're here to come to me and tell me your problems, I will make you well. That's my, that's my role here. So you have to meet me halfway with that you know i kind of i kind of like their idea yeah
1: it you know she says she's a new field of of medical science Mm -hmm. it it, it seems to be yeah that that one of psychiatry that um is a conversation between um the doctor and the patient Mm -hmm. It, it is not like the banning clinic where she was tied up um, and held yes. where you're being forced with particular procedures and the conversation is very much from the doctor to the patient. Mm-hmm. But that's why, it, as you say, it's so good that there is this antagonism that Vanessa immediately puts on Dr. Seawood, yet she sees a familiar face looking back at her. And in the same way, Dr. Seawood is as equally antagonistic uh, of her as was Joan Clayton, you know, there is an efficiency of the use of words that is both abrupt and seemingly loveless between Mm -hmm. uh, from Dr. Seward to Vanessa Mm -hmm. um, and vice versa. And I like them bouncing off one another here. I mean, it almost seems that Dr. Seward doesn't want Vanessa to be her patient. She goes, it's 10 shillings per session. If you don't like it, it's the price of a good dentist going to get your teeth seen (laughs) to. Um, Whereas Vanessa's kind of, She doesn't quite believe that this doctor doesn't want her to be her patient Mm -hmm. and that she will be just seen as a a prize patient that she can use to make her yeah. maybe more famous improve her standing within uh the profession so, so what's the phrase she
0: uses it's uh you're, you need to collect and cure me is as the yeah. phrase yeah, yeah. so it, it's it's really really kind of nicely done mm-hmm. uh between these two um, and, and once again you know i love the reaction from vanessa when she sees this face of someone that she thought dead you know that's exactly what is going through her mind because while she looks much better kept and has a better haircut, um, a little severe, but uh, much better haircut yeah. than John Clayton, it looks instantly to Vanessa's eyes as if someone has been reincarnated in front of her. And, uh, you know, she's gone through a whole experience of the witches of the of the nightcomers. So the reaction of her kind of going, uh-oh, what about I?" just walked into here you know uh, we also meet up with Renfield a very very creepy receptionist uh, the receptionist for Dr. Stewart. <laughs> he is so creepy even from the opening moments and he's not really supposed to be I don't think uh, not at that, this moment from that introduction no. he's not supposed to be creepy but there's just something that that kind of makes your skin crawl a little bit with him and um, he's just a little bit creepy uh, when, when we see him at first but we End the episode and just where we're, where I want to close out, I suppose, the point of what's happening with Vanessa. She does seem to get a little bit of help from, from Dr. Seward. She's told to go out and do something to make herself happy. And she pays a visit to the National History Museum with a little bit of prompting, prompting from the, uh, graying looking, uh, child who's selling newspapers on the street, uh, as he's telling her that, uh, yes. died. Maybe you should take a visit in here, uh, to the, uh, to the Natural History Museum. It's a bit, a uh, bit of a creepy little moment.
1: Yeah. Dr. Seward, uh, basically, tells her to go break the cycle go and do something that you Different. wouldn't normally do yeah. um and, and in going to the natural history museum um she's looking at all the exotic creatures that have been effectively killed stuffed mm-hmm. and
0: put on display Amazing. but we know um, from season one that's something that she would have done herself so it's it's something that would interest her right
1: yeah exactly. Know she, was,
0: she did uh, taxidermy uh, yes with her friends very weird pastime,
1: And this is where she meets Dr. Alexander Sweet, the head zoologist, the director of uh, the exhibit mm-hmm. and, and so on here. Um, and yes, th- th- this is kind of, you know, it's it, that they kind of meet over taxidermy. We remember Vanessa uh, in her recollections from season one, where she is doing taxidermy with Mina and Peter. Um, and, they kinda of connect over the taxidermy, the stuffed animals, um and, and we have alexander sweet seemingly a bit on the same wavelength as vanessa you know he goes i care for the unloved creatures uh those dusty cases make sure you go to to see them mm-hmm. uh, because if if i don't who who will they meet initially over the scorpion displays as well oh, of course so uh, you know there's a lot of symbolism here uh of these two characters um which we'll be getting to when we
0: discuss episode 2. Definitely. Definitely. Not going to spoil it all here. No, not at all. <laughs> but that was my main my main point just the introduction of Dr. Seward and this uh, this return of Patty Lepone uh, to the show. So I'm delighted to have her back and I think their relationship here is quite intriguing. Uh, any notes for the first episode that you want to talk about without spoiling anything from the second episode, John? The
1: the, the main notes Dr. Seward and Renfield are both from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um Renfield actually being the original um, a lawyer that goes out to, um, Transylvania to Dracula's, uh, castle to, to, to start the, the process of Dracula buying up the properties around
0: London for him to move to. That's right. Before Mr. Harker. Yes. Who was Mina's supposed hus- husband. Yeah, the fiance. Yes. Yeah. In Dracula. And then, yes, that's right. Okay, so yes.
1: So that's a nice little tie in mm-hmm. here. And then Dr. Seawood. And um, it was, the character was John Seawood in Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, where he is what connected to the Harker family mm-hmm. and Mina uh, and is. Is there to, um, it is one of the first doctors to come into contact with the, the vampiric state yes. that they that some of the characters enter into after a good old, uh, nosh around nosh the neck. The neck. Uh, yes, uh,
0: yes, exactly. So, yes, so, yeah, so the also playing a character from Dracula. Very cool. We will talk about the other two storylines that happen in this episode the stuff with Ethan and Hecate and the stuff with Malcolm Murray and, uh, his new partner. Uh, we'll talk about those in the next episode because I think, They're kind of alluded to a bit uh, in this episode, but we don't see... Enough of them to really talk about them as major points. Uh, and there's only two of us. So we'll talk about them a bit more in the second episode, I think.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think the only other big thing from this episode that we have to really mention, and it, it involves Renfield, um, is, you know, he closes up the office of Dr. Seawood. He, he goes looking for, um, I suppose some Friday night fling, uh, in with mm. a prostitute, but, That all comes to a very, very abrupt end as the prostitute gets slammed against Mm -hmm. the wall. I mean, literally smashed. It's It really does feel violent. Yeah.
0: Um, And she looks completely broken. Yeah, exactly. And you say prostitute, but she's a woman selling stuff on the side of the street. And this creepy character of Renfield is just kind of throwing money at her going, do you want to have a quickie at the back? She's not really a prostitute. He's just paying her money to have sex with her is kind of the the creepy part about Renfield you've you got an image of him that he's going you know counter to counter down the street going to any woman that will look at him would you would you have sex with me for a little bit of cash yeah like, well exactly uh,
1: but he gets whisked into the darkness mm-hmm. and, and we come to a, a new I suppose nest of vampires or at least their familiars uh with uh this this sort of defunct looking warehouse mm-hmm. um as great sound effect um really as then their master arrives mm-hmm. um and he effectively um lets it be known that he is dracula yes. uh, and he does enroll renfield into uh, his move towards Vanessa, mm-hmm. that he says, "You will learn more and inform me. You will open her secrets uh, to me." And he he finishes it off with, "Give me your neck, give me your throat, give me your blood." Um, you know, I am the master. Um, I am Dracula. This is very much. Um, it feels to me this idea of a reflection of season two mm-hmm. where we we found out about the two brothers cast out of heaven Um season two was lucifer primarily with the witches and now we are meeting dracula for the first time in a sense, the, the vampire, the head vampire who had Mina, or at least was there at the Grand Grignol at the end of season one, mm-hmm. that was not the, the master. That Absolutely. was just the, the master for that nest at the Grand Grignol. Yeah. It's a nice reminder,
0: isn't it? Because, you know, it was mentioned back in season one that that was never the end of the story that was always a sub-level master i suppose they hadn't reached the top level all they were trying to do is get mina back basically but there was one other person that was actually chasing after vanessa so nice that at the start of this season we get that one last thing because we didn't mention him, uh, john claire's trip to the arctic as well uh because kind of have to mention another really horrific moment in the episode where we have um <laughs> yeah. all of the the crew members who are Dying effectively, they're running out of food. They're, they're, there's everybody's dying of frostbite, and uh, and everybody's uh, either sick or dying. And you have someone proposing that they actually eat some of the frozen men that were on board the ship. Um, John Clare for a moment protects a young boy who's coughing, um, but then realizes he only has a few days to live. And snaps his neck and walks away, yes, um he has a vision of his own family for the first time, John Clare does, so he has a vision of his past and his history, so he knows he's about to leave, but realizes that the boy couldn't possibly survive, so he yeah. kills the boy in a way in a John Clare type of way or the creature type of way, he's doing something nice for the boy because he doesn't want him to die painfully over the three days but It's pretty brutal, though.
1: Well, let's just say, I think so far in TV uh, history that I do think John Clare, or the creature, as we would like to affectionately call him, Mm -hmm. um, he does snap necks really quite well. He's pretty incredible. You you, you get the sense that he does (laughs) it pretty well. But I like the fact that you're right. It comes from a sense of pushing the the child out of, of its misery. And that's because... We see a flashback, but it's not a flashback. It's a remembrance. It's a memory um, of his old life Mm -hmm. uh, with a very sick child. Um, And this is an interesting part here because I'm trying to think whether it is the first time. I think it really is. is. That we see... John Clare remembering his past, which is very exciting. Um, I think. I think the other great thing here is that just seeing the contrast with the the, the sailors in the you know, with his hands being as cold as marble, he can. He's, he's quite enjoying this cold it doesn't phase him you know, i'm, I'm surprised there. he didn't bring his sort of you know sunbathing towel to to lie out and <laughs> and soak up the coldness
0: yeah. um he seemed to be enjoying himself quite a lot yeah uh, i just want to point out fellow uh petty faithful the reason why john said the words that was very exciting in the way he did was because he was reading while he said that but he is quite excited about it. yeah <laughs> no you know I, I
1: am i am <laughs> um but the one thing i really like to think about with regards to this ship is i like to think of It as being the HMS Terror, Mm. Uh, because it was going to the Arctic. That this was HMS Terror, and it was accompanied with another ship that they were trying to force the Northwest Passage Mm -hmm. in winter. And they both got caught in the in the ice as it it went deep into winter, and all hands were lost at sea. This idea that this would be HMS Terror, Mm. um, which was also a TV show, it was. just it, it just fits it perfectly. Yeah. So whether it is or it isn't, for me, he is aboard HMS Terra. <laughs> I don't
0: see any other ship it could be well, for Penny Dreadful. Can I give you one? Uh, because the Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the one that starred Robert De Niro, the opening of that movie was a ship run aground in the arctic yes uh, and we had victor frankenstein in the arctic with his version of the creature as well so i think it's a little nod back to that movie I, there. I think but i think both is. of them maybe hms terror <laughs> yeah it, it
1: could be i do like the sound of that for sure um whether it is
0: or it isn't <laughs> that's it that's our discussion about season three episode one of penny dreadful the day tennyson died and we didn't even talk about tennyson in no. it
1: well, that's true. I don't really – I'm not great with poetry now or with poets for <laughs> You stop. actually just hate poetry. Um, because, like, we didn't even get the reference about John Clare being a, an English poet, uh, that mm-hmm. that was what the creature had picked. The only thing I know literally about um, Tennyson is that, A, he was a poet, uh, and, B, I do know one of the lines, uh, and it is given to us here – uh, by mr lyle that it is better to have loved and lost than mm-hmm. never to have
0: loved at all yes uh, which is an awesome line it for is for sure it is certainly and a, and a big reference to vanessa ives and ethan chandler of exactly course. um so yes good old tennyson for providing us with that line we'll take a break and we'll be back with our discussion about season three episode two predators far and near
1: Hi, I'm one of the High Priests of Conchu Ray, and I have the sacred privilege of providing you, the loony listener, with a podcast honouring Marvel's very own Moon Knight. So join me and a host of others at Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or support the show by becoming a Patreon member. Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. It's time to get your Conchu on.
0: Welcome back, fellow Penny Faithful. We're talking about Penny Dreadful Season 3, Episode 2 Predators Far and Near. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Not a predator at all. Hello there, fellow Darklings. Yes, I am one of your other hosts, John.
1: Also not a predator. No, I'm being predated upon. <laughs> I'm being hunted by the Master. <laughs> Everyone's being hunted by the
0: master, it seems, doesn't it? Yes, it, it certainly does. <laughs> certainly does indeed. Well, definitely, Vanessa. Anyway, we're going to crack on with our discussions about Season 3, Episode 2, "Predators Far and Near. The episode was directed once again by Damon Thomas and written by John Logan. John, or John, not John Logan, do you want to give us the summary for this episode?
1: Sure. Dorian Gray and Lily rescue a girl named Justine from a torture house, and Lily promises her that she will have revenge against those who hurt her. Sir Malcolm and Cayetanet embark on a ship to the American West to rescue Ethan. Meanwhile, Inspector Rusk refuses to hand the matter of Ethan's execution to the Americans due to his snatching, but Ethan transforms and murders his escorts with the help of Hecate. Dr. Jackal shows Victor Frankenstein his lab, They agree to test on a subject before attempting anything on Lily. Frankenstein has a tender moment with Lily, who advises him not to see her again. Meanwhile, Vanessa begins her regular sessions with Dr. Seward, while her receptionist, Renfield, begins gathering information for his new master. (laughs) After the session, Vanessa attends a lecture given by Dr. Sweet, and later invites him to accompany her for a night out. Later, Renfield visits his master's lair, With the information he has gathered, his master, Dr. Sweet, is revealed to be Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Not-So-Sweet. No, not-So-Sweet at all. Um. Yes, those eyes were great as he looks up to to slit his wrist to allow Renfield to feed. Mm-hmm. What a great image! Fantastic, we loved yeah. it. Really, really um,
0: good. Yeah, really nicely done. One um, thing I am so glad about is that they didn't keep this a secret for very long because you kind of exactly. knew in episode one, didn't it? Yeah, you Yeah,
1: <laughs> you knew any chance encounter with someone who was charming um, was not going to be the encounter it looked like on the face of it especially for poor Vanessa No, exactly (laughs) like
0: it's a guarantee that the
1: person's gonna be a bad person (laughs) she's just had a pep talk from Mr. Lyle Mm -hmm. who has given her some sound advice to get her back on her feet and she's you know taking those tentative steps and the first person she runs into is another one of these demons that just want to kind of um capture her and have her by their side Mm. Seems like a prophecy
0: or something. It really does. Oh, no, it was a prophecy. It was, yes. Um,
1: she is Amonet, who will walk with Amon-Ra. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Or will she? Exactly. <laughs> will
0: Dracula be successful where Lucifer wasn't? Exactly. Yeah, interesting stuff. John, do you want to give us your big moment from Season 3, Episode 2?
1: Yes. Um, I've got another quote to start off my point here. Do your people always speak so enigmatically? And mm-hmm. um, this is Samalcolm to um who is played here by Wes Studi, mm-hmm. um, who I loved from Last of the Mohicans. Oh yes, um, absolutely loved him from Last of the Mohicans. So I'm, I'm a big fan of of this actor, mm-hmm. just uh, primarily, I think, for 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 that movie, um, and. I, I, I like these two characters together. Mm-hmm. Um, Kiesony is this defiant Native American. Um, he, you know, he says, I am Churikawa, Indian by birth and right. Mm-hmm. Um, just so strong and
0: um, stoic. And we didn't really mention it in episode one. We said we'd talk about it in episode two. Their introduction to the two characters where they meet in Zanzibar is really interesting because we do finally, I think, we actually get a little moment of Timothy Dalton doing his Bond, James Bond moment as he's being attacked from all around. Kate Kat and I taking out some of the folks, but we do have um, Sir Malcolm turning on people with a gun that feels very Bond-like uh, in that in that first moment. I think it's because he's alone and he doesn't have the power of Ethan on one side and the power of uh, Simbené on the other side. This time he feels like he's his own powerful Bond character. Even though Ketney is a very powerful character, it feels like a Bond moment for once.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, Cayetane helps him here. I, I love the fact that he scalps uh, the last person he takes down. And um, right in front of Samalcolm, mm-hmm. and he just turns and says, "Old traditions die hard." And I think as well, just the context of that meeting in Zanzibar, um, where he he says to to Samalcolm, "Ethan Chandler needs your help. Come to America," and effectively says. Our son needs us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this idea that Sir Malcolm. You know, we, we saw him having fatherly conversations with Victor, but there were a few with with Ethan. But there was a, an element of distrust between the two of them. Certainly, um, initially, I think that kind of disappeared, yeah. uh, became less so a, as time went on. Kayetne then is also seen as this father figure in some way mm. to. Um, to ethan chandler as well or dare i say ethan talbot um you oh. know maybe a more supernatural father to um ethan but one of the great things is you know some Alchem immediately um almost fobs him off but he says but you were born to fight the demons of the earth and sky mm-hmm. and i i think this is one of the things that i i love um about these two interacting they're both stoic figures they, they, they really are. Yeah. Um, but coming from very different places. I think one of the great things I liked here is when Malcolm stands up for Keitney on the train as they're traveling across, uh, the vast interior of the US to try and track down. Ethan Uh, you know there are two American redneck cowboys that are effectively throwing uh, racist abuse saying he shouldn't be in the first class carriage they should be in with the post and in with the horses uh, on on, in the in the mail cart Mm -hmm. Um, and Malcolm stands up to these two um, redneck cowboys and I, I love the fact that Sir Malcolm really puts the fear of God into these two uh, rednecks to effectively back down. But the, uh, Kayetne is just so defiant. And I, I really, uh, enjoyed this. I mm-hmm. think, um, the other thing that I really like is just this dipping into Native American, um, spirituality mm-hmm. and, and culture. Uh, you know, Kayetne says, our son needs us. Um, you know, and he speaks to Ethan across the spiritual plane. Uh, using some kind of smoke or psychoactive drug. It's just a a great kind of nod to the um, fantastic traditions of uh, the Native Americans. And I I think that – I I think the reason why I'm so – I so enjoyed this is because we've had these moments in the previous seasons where Ethan has described what he's done to Native Americans Mm – um, as being, being in the U.S. Army and, and the great Indian wars that happened in terms of as the, uh, America moved westwards across that vast interior of America. Well, the Indians, yeah. 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 And, and to finally sort of find out that, um, he has this father figure in Kayakne, um, seemingly one that is at odds because when he does speak to him at, across that spiritual plane, um, he really doesn't seem to like There, There is some bad, bad blood um, and no love lost between these two. There's the great line which suggests the nature of their relationships, where he says, Look into my eyes. Did they look at you when you killed them, says Ethan to um, Kayetney. Hmm. Um, and yes, is this the king wolf? Is this the, you know, in the same way... As Dracula is the master of vampires, is this, um, you know, patient zero within Mm. the werewolf uh, community? I I, I like that kind of idea. I like uh, the idea of a werewolf community. I think that's quite cool. Well, A yeah. werewolf pack, maybe. Yeah, a pack, yes. <laughs> okay, exactly. Um, I'm probably thinking of the New Zealand movie uh, with all the werewolves going around. That they're um, werewolves, not swearwolves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, thinking of, yes, a nice community in sort of suburban New Zealand um, sort of doing their thing. But, yeah, yeah I, I I really like how it connects in with... Um, uh, effectively, there's really awful tales mm. of... Uh, America's treatment of the Native Americans.
0: Absolutely. And I wanted to point out one of the things that was in uh, the first episode as well, uh, kind of the voiceover that Sir Malcolm's doing in the first episode. Um, He's talking about the fact that Africa has lost its luster and has lost its romanticism now that it's full of slavers, effectively. So he is completely appalled by the slave trade that's going on in Africa and what it's done to all of the people that are there and all, and everything that's going on there you know remember he was an explorer and he would have been somebody that would have been an early uh arrival on the on that continent effectively it's someone that had, had wished he'd fi- he'd found the uh, source of the Nile was, was one of the things he'd always strived for was finding that and then he comes back to Zanzibar with the body of Sembene and realizes how much the presence of these English explorers has damaged the country of Africa. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like that that set Malcolm up in a new way for this season to, to go and explore the Americas with someone who has also been hurt by the Europeans coming over and destroying America yeah. by taking the exactly. land away from the Native Americans. So it kind of sets Malcolm in a new place by going to visit Zanzibar in himself, I think, which is just a, a nice touch that they did at the beginning of season uh, season three.
1: Definitely, and I, I think um, the, the great thing about the that communication that Kayetney does is that within um, the, I suppose, the spiritual traditions of Native Americans, uh, you have this animistic uh, religion and shamanistic religion where, you know, uh, animistic is that, you know, Trees, the landscape, the mm. environment, animals, our deities in themselves have the spirituality that they uh, worship. That's right. Yeah. A- and the shamanistic were, you know, different states of consciousness are, are reached. And um, so it, it fits in nicely if, if he is the werewolf father to, to Ethan. Yes. Um, as well, this idea of, of coming from this spiritual tradition, uh, which I, I really, I find really fascinating, mm-hmm. to be honest. And I love that that's what um John Logan is capturing here. Mm-hmm. Even down to the fact where Ethan is in the saloon, I think in Cascabel, mm. um, and he is served by a Native American lady. Um, and he gives her a warning before he turns because it's a full moon. He says, you can leave this room right now. Uh, I'm one of uh, Kayetney's tribe and you know you see the acknowledgement in her face i i just thought that was really yeah. uh, a nice little touch uh, within this episode but and um, for me yeah i i think this 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 coupling of samalcan with i is just so so good mm. um and it, it's one of the things i remember really enjoying about season 3 mm-hmm. is this whole connection between Uh, Malcolm and Kayetney, this idea of them being fathers to Ethan and exploring, certainly through Kayetney, the influence of Native Americans um, that they still had uh, at the time, but also with Ethan, despite what he's done to them. And like it's kind of an interesting dynamic uh, for me. I think the interesting thing when I was looking up about um, the Indian spirituality, just given what ethan talks about as well taking you know children from the tribe mm-hmm. and effectively anglicizing them and americanizing them and that native americans weren't able to practice their spirituality or their religion it was still banned up until 1978 in the u.s wow which i was like gobsmacked yeah. at. Um so it just shows you to what extent um that first people has been suppressed yeah. here yeah. um and and so
0: i kind of I, I root for kayak absolutely yeah yeah he's a great character great new great new addition to the to the uh series i did think it was interesting having hecate paired up with ethan that's kind of interesting isn't it the coupling between the two of them especially because she joins him in the attack becomes the nightcomer comes out of the wall and kills some people around him and then she's kind of going uh so are we together now is that you know are we going around around the all of America gonna, and we're going to rule. Is that what's going to happen now with the, the <laughs> yeah. wolf of, of the Lord? And you kind of see with him going, like she caused so much trouble for him and yeah. his entire group last season. So would he be willing to work with her? Would he need to work with her? Is there any particular reason that she's giving him other than the fact that she is a very powerful, powerful witch?
1: It is the start of a really interesting and potentially odd dynamic. Yeah. Um. You know, probably a relationship or a, a coupling that is forced upon ethan mm-hmm. rather than willingly entered into uh, but i i thought that was really uh yeah i thought that was an interesting um thing to bring hecate back here but mm-hmm. it makes sense as you say given the whole uh scene in his room uh, towards the end of season two yeah uh, it's a nice little touch as well also, just to say to the question, do your people always speak so enigmatically? Can mm-hmm. does answer yes, yes. yes uh, which do. is a, <laughs> it's a nice little play uh, on those, I suppose, dare I say it, those Western films where you do have that kind of wise, spiritual Native mm-hmm. American. Um, and he's just kind of like, yeah. It's our stick. Exactly.
0: I'm owning it. Shut up. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah. it. Um, my big moment from the episode really is just the reintroduction of Lily and Dorian because uh, we didn't really get anything of them in episode one. And there were two major characters finishing off the season as two supernatural beings and two um, immortal beings. Now, working together, so uh, getting to see their plan in the, to begin with, I suppose what the beginnings of it and what they 're going to do with them in season three, I thought was really interesting um we've seen some brutality in this world, this Victorian world that John Logan created uh for the first couple of seasons, but I think the opening of this episode probably feels more brutal than anything we 've seen before yeah, this group of um of rich old men sitting in a room waiting for a young girl to be beaten to death in front of them like. Dare I say it's almost like a precursor to a snuff movie yeah, that that's right, what okay. it
1: felt like that um this was the Victorian equivalent to the snuff movie. Hmm. They would kidnap someone to kill them, yeah. and they were willing to pay significant money to to watch
0: that, and they're watching um, her be killed. It's not like they're even participating you know, it seems yeah. they're just watching her be killed like it's just it's really disturbing uh, in in the intention and the minute that lily and uh, dorian pull out their guns and kill everybody in the room you're you're absolutely rooting for them you know uh, this new character of justine is introduced here uh being saved by lily and, and dorian i kind of like the tiny twist to uh, villainousness that we have in lily when she does uh, bring justine in there's no comforting whisper from her telling her yeah. she's safe she doesn't say that she says you're mine to yes. uh, to Justine so um, interesting so recruiting from these downtrodden women in, in London is where we start with their uh, with their new plan I suppose so um, so intrigued to see uh, what happens with them I, I love that they uh, bring her to Dorian's amazing apartment in London uh, and then treat her really well bring her to her new home and then tell her if she's willing to join them they will have a monumental revenge on the men of London uh, I think it's a great moment and I, I kind of like having Dorian in this kind of supporting position to Lily you know it's it's interesting that she would even team up with Dorian considering the feeling she seems to have for any man Um, but I suppose him being an immortal and him him being another supernatural being is kind of what gets him a pass in a way yeah he's different actually it
1: almost feels like she's treating Dorian in the same way that he has treated other people previously Mm -hmm. he's connected in with them because they're different She's doing the same because he's not like normal men. Yeah. But will she get bored of him like he has previously? Which is an interesting question it moving is. forward yeah. in terms of uh, this relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, There is just one other moment that, that was in the episode as well that I wanted to talk about, I know we talked about it in, in uh, episode one already, with Victor and Lily having their meeting, because Victor's been watching Lily uh, from outside of her apartment. But I really like the scene, so I want to talk about it a little bit more here again. Sorry, I know there's loads of other stuff to talk about in the episode, but, um, but it, there's a tenderness to Lily with Victor, where she's yes. saying to him... I know I was your first love. I get it. I know you were a virgin before we slept together. I understand that. But you'll move on. Everybody has a first love they have to move on from. You can't be sitting outside the house here. And you would expect that Lily would actually kill him. Um yeah. You know, but she's very tender with him. She's saying, I'm not the person that you fell in love with. If you continue to stalk me, you will see the person I'm becoming and you're not going to like it. It's first love. You will recover from this. And she lets him walk away, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like that that's the way she's played this with, with Victor because there's so many other ways that she could have done it. So I kind of like that she is willing to tell him. And be very realistic with them. Just this is it. It's over. Walk away before it gets any worse. We know from the rest of the story it is getting worse. We know Victor's already engaged uh, Dr. um, Jekyll to help him to change her personality so that she will just fall for him again. But it was a moment where at least she's trying to reason with him without pushing him away, without laughing in his face like she did before. Yes. You know, she's trying to tell him this is over. My Our story is done. Yeah, exactly.
1: And it, it feels like with the pact that he has with Dr. Jekyll, he's trying one last time to see if she will come willingly without requiring Dr. Jekyll's yeah. uh, chemistry and uh, his science mm-hmm. uh, or indeed to destroy her. Yeah. That, you know, this is kind of that one last romantic proposition that he is trying to do to bring
0: her back to him. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That was my main point for the episode and your main point for the episode. I know we can't cover everything that goes on in the episode, especially with only two of us and we're just covering our big moment, but there's so much that went on in this episode that I think needs to be talked about and just even just to mention it, um Dr. Jekyll actually curing this Violent Queen Threatener, I think I've written in my notes here. Uh, He does cure him with just a simple solution. This thing that he's been promising for Victor, uh, that he's able to cure someone of their violent tendencies, gives one injection, and Mr. Balfour turns back into a normal Scottish person, basically. So I find this really intriguing. And the first time I saw it, I think I was saying it to you afterwards, John, when we watched the episode, you see this this guy coming in with crusty face and his hair all matted, and um, he looks really... Like he's been in prison for years for, for this, uh, crime that he committed. Well, as of, Victor,
1: as Victor says, never threaten the Queen, exactly. otherwise you go
0: into the asylum. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the idea that then he gets this injection and he's completely cleaned up is his hair looks like he's, he's just had it done almost. Um, his face has lost all the crustiness to it and it's, it's a normal face again. When I saw it first, I was kind of going, oh, well, they, that wouldn't happen. That's not possible. But it is possible in the world of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because that's the central premise of them. It's only when I talked to you about it afterwards, John, while we were having that chat, I suddenly realized, but that's the whole premise of yes the Incredible Hulk and Bruce Banner. The Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is that when they change from one, from one uh, being to another being, it's unrecognizable who they were yeah, beforehand who exactly. they were as mr hyde it's unrecognizable when they become dr Jekyll. so uh, so that is a reference to to the book but when i saw it on, on screen i was kind of going did they get a cleaner in to clean his face in those two seconds that he was that he was knocked out kind of thing for mr balfour but uh, but no it makes a lot of sense
1: yeah i i think um i think for me t- two of the things from this is is definitely that uh Um, dr jekyll's laboratory in in bedlam is just amazing it's it's as good as victor's um attic reanimation studio Mm -hmm. um it's really nicely done I, i really like this idea again you know he does his thing in here and no one really asks any questions i think the other interesting thing about mr balfour is that he is um, a social agitator from Scotland, mm-hmm. um, because Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, was Scottish. Very good. Um, and one of the things in terms of the duality, um, you know, we talked about it personally, about the private public life in the previous episode. Um, but one of the other elements was about the, um, I suppose that iteration at that time of Scottish independence and Scottish nationalism uh, as opposed to English nationalism mm-hmm. so it was uh, it's kind of interesting that um that was picked up on in making mr Balfour effectively um a scottish uh, social agitator that was uh, threatening the queen uh, i thought that was really interesting yeah uh, again the difference between monarchy or republicanism i suppose but mm-hmm. so that that was really good i really liked um renfield here you know the morning after the night before um where <laughs> he you know he, he's looking a little paler maybe a little creepier he certainly mm-hmm. his reactions are better you can get that fly right. pluck it out of the air to, to have a little Little mange first thing uh, in the morning. Uh-huh. but The he, blinds
0: are slightly closed as well. You notice this yeah. time. Uh, it's a little Vanessa darker
1: was. in the room. Yeah. Um, but he is monitoring uh, Vanessa's therapy, uh, which are on those uh, great uh, gramophone the, the wax cylinders. And mm-hmm. um, in return for blood uh, from Dracula, that he he brings the information back. Um, and, uh, I, I did put in my, uh, notes that Renfield feeds on sweet, sweet, Dr. Sweet blood. <laughs> um, yes. And we get confirmation here right at the end as, um, Renfield is feeding from the, the wrist of Dracula. Um, you'll be flesh of my flesh, says Dracula, that that the camera pans up really nicely as, doctor sweets head is back his eyes are very red and mm. um, as he is feeding uh, his his spy effectively renfield yeah. um so a great great ending to to this episode
0: definitely definitely only other thing to note for me in the episode is how they're keeping uh, Inspector Rusk involved because now he seems to be joining the Pinkertons to go on the search for Ethan. He caught his man once before. Will he catch him again this time? So, uh, so interesting that uh, that Inspector Rusk is going to be uh, following Ethan uh, on his journey across America. Yes, he's
1: enrolled the federal marshal this time. A mm. um, Franklin Osto, the actor who plays Franklin Osto, um, was in the Channel Four series Shameless, mm-hmm. which was about a council estate in Manchester, <laughs> which was
0: hilarious That's- and has been adapted into. The U.S. as yes, well, absolutely, absolutely on HBO as well, I think. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a Northern Irish father, so it's a character we know very well. Uh, and seeing him putting on yeah, this American accent, really is good different.
1: to see him yeah. uh, doing uh, doing that for yeah, sure. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, that's it for my notes for this episode. Anything else you want to talk about before
0: we get on to the next one?
1: No, uh, only to say that I have another great Doctor Sweet joke uh, for the next episode. Oh, great! Are they?
0: <laughs> thanks so much we'll be back with our next episode of a petty dreadful season three episode three good and evil braided b after this quick break hi this is derek from tv podcast industries we hope you're keeping safe and well at this time and hopefully we're providing a little bit of entertainment to get you through some of the boredom that comes along with uh what's been going on at the moment If you've been enjoying the podcast, we'd love if you subscribe to us at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can support us by going over to patreon.com slash industries. You can also support us by leaving a review on your podcast catcher of choice or of course you can share the podcast with any of your friends because sharing the podcast is sharing the love. Remember, we've covered many, many shows over all the years that we've been podcasting. We've covered things like Gotham, The Boys on Amazon Prime. We've covered Pennyworth. Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Agent Carter, Luke Cage, Iron Fist. So if you've enjoyed the coverage that you've been listening to, hopefully you'll check out some of the other shows that we've done. And we've got lots more to come. And thank you, as always, so much for listening. Welcome back to our discussion about Penny Dreadful, Season 3, Episode 3, Good and Evil Braided Bee.
1: at you turning into a romantic poet?
0: <laughs> Is that romantic? I'm not sure whether you want to have good and evil braided together. Do
1: you? Probably not. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I actually did think that this was going to be a quote from another Victorian poet. Mm. Um, maybe so, Tennyson, maybe Yeah, earth. exactly. Uh, but I didn't find any reference to it right. uh, in my searching. This is... From the great poet and writer John Logan.
0: <laughs> it, c- it could be, but uh, what always happens when a TV show uses a quote from a poem, especially an obscure poem, is all of a sudden it's only the TV show results that come up in Google. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> you, know, you have to really search hard uh, in, case, uh, in case it might be somewhere underneath uh, somewhere. But we will say that, as always, this episode was written by John Logan, so potentially he came up with the name uh, just completely out of nowhere.
1: It certainly feels like John Logan using his literary uh, genius. Yeah, either that or it's out Dante's
0: Inferno, I, I would guess. <laughs> well, maybe. But as I said before, I am no poet. Let's just jump straight into the discussion, John. Uh The episode was directed by Damon
1: Thomas once again. Three in a row. Yeah, three in a row. Directors 3, Season 3, Episode 3, Good and Evil, Braided Bee. Lots and lots of rhyming, John. I like it. Yes. <laughs> Maybe you're the poet. No, I really am not. <laughs> really i am not. Do you want to tell us
0: what the summary for this episode was, then?
1: Sure. The creature returns to London in search of his former family, some alchem and Kayetne, continue to track Ethan and Hecate, as does Inspector Rusk, with the assistance of Franklin Austo and his deputies. Dorian and Lily continue their tutelage of Justine in the acquisition of power. Mm -hmm. As Vanessa continually struggles with the mysterious forces tracking her every move, the beleaguered witch meets a creature of the night who divulges details and clues to her past and says that she has met his master before. Hinting it was in the Banning Clinic, where she spent five months previously.
0: Ooh, you see, season three wrapping all the way back around to season one. Yes, exactly. Wasn't a very good decision by uh, someone to tell Vanessa uh, this this connection.
1: No, not at all. Whilst I absolutely approve of his choice of telling her in the, the mirrored a ground attraction, which is always great for a horror. Going off script, shall we say, against the wishes of the master, Mm -hmm. doesn't end well for this poor familiar, um, unfortunately. So I suspect the boy familiar that we've already seen will now take his place.
0: Oh, possibly, yes. yes. Yes,
1: because... He is thrust aside quite violently and then fed upon by all the familiars Everybody.
0: in the warehouse. Yeah. Either that or Renfield's take are going to take its place. One the
1: Maybe. Others, I guess. Um, yeah. But I think if Renfield showed up at the uh, doctor's surgery looking like that, I think Vanessa would be very much on the ball to realize something wasn't quite right with Renfield.
0: <laughs> very true. Very true. Um,
1: but I loved... Um, I love the decision to have it in the House of Mirrors uh, at the fairground. Um it's, It is one of those classic um, scenes for anything to do with horror where you just have your own reflection coming back at you and then you see someone that you either shouldn't see, don't want to see, mm-hmm. um, and then you don't know which is the real version of it oh, cool. uh, because of the mirrors. It is
0: just... Pure classic, and I thought that was a great little moment from this episode. And a vampire being able to be seen in a mirror, which they're not supposed to be able to be done. Well, that's it. But he's not a vampire; he's a familiar. He's a familiar, exactly. So, uh, so a nice little touch there, that's uh, able to do that.
1: Yeah. Well, that was one of the things I was trying to see with Doctor Sweet as mm. well. Was did his reflection show up
0: in the mirror? And I think it did. Yeah. But I, I think. think, I, I think that's fine. It would be very hard to work in the national uh, museum surrounded by glass if he didn't reflect in that glass. Somebody would notice pretty quick, wouldn't they? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and also
1: my um little joke on Dr. Sweet for this is obviously he takes uh, retribution on the familiar for um going up to Vanessa and spooking her effectively. Mm-hmm. Um because on the basis of that she effectively goes cold uh, towards dr sweet so dare i say it um that he's a little dr bittersweet uh, at
0: this um at the moment never prepare the joke or underline that it's going to be a joke i yet. know
1: <laughs> but what else can i do if i just said bittersweet it would sound like the musings of someone who should be in bedlam hmm uh with dr jekyll uh, injecting me with his various chemicals but i i needed to set it up even okay. though it was a terrible joke
0: <laughs> It was okay it was okay uh, let's get on to our big moments from the episode what's your big moment from episode three of season three john
1: i've kind of hinted at this before it's the creature um remembering his his past yes. and not only that, um, but beginning to follow up on, on his history, on his past. Um, and I, I really like seeing the unfolding of, uh, the backstory, uh, like this. You know, we've seen it in snippets of the earlier episodes where, you know, um, he sees his son ill in bed and that gets him to, uh, effectively snap the neck of the kid on board the, the ship that's, um, uh, locked in ice we see him coming to this apartment in chinatown it's it's actually quite a nice moment because he sees vanessa and dr alexander sweet and he smiles because he recognizes vanessa and even though he's about to go over to her to say hello and then alexander sweet comes in Mm -hmm. And you're kind of thinking, will he take this as a form of rejection? And he doesn't. He's happy that she's happy. Exactly. Because that's what he is looking for. Um, And that's a really nice moment. But in this moment, I think it's in, in Chinatown he's suddenly drawn to this room above um a chinese uh, restaurant um in chinatown uh, and he goes and inquires about the room to see who it is that used to live there mm-hmm. are there any records and he, he's not getting any form of uh help from from the guy he's kind of fairly trying to fob him off really he's like you either take it for what 10 shillings mm-hmm. um, a month or get out. Um, and this is because, you know, we've seen his memory coming back to him where he, he sees his his wife and his son in this apartment with him during happier days. And I, I like then that this uh, contrasts where um, as, as he's trying to track down where they've gone, the people who used to live here. He tracks his Wife and son, down to the workhouse, mm-hmm. they are destitute um and his, his son seems like he's got consumption as well but the, the, there's a great moment where he's looking through the rafters he's gone up into the loft of the workhouse and he he he's spying on them it, you know it it calls back to him spying on um the actress in season one, mm-hmm. but you, you know that this is different uh, there's a moment where you see like the old wooden ship. On the the window ledge, um, in the room, um, and you'd seen it previously in um their flat above the the Chinese restaurant That's in right. Chinatown, and all these memories, uh, flooding back to the creature, mm. and he decides to support them by robbing the rich, you know, so he's becoming Robin Hood almost. He's, he's yeah. robbing the rich, or at least at this one time to give to his, his family to at support he's not them. Snapping the
0: necks of the rich to give to
1: the poor. Well, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, and I just think this is really nice, you know, that they find this money. And he's looking at them from the rafters again, uh, from the loft. Uh, and you, you see the warmth filling him at, in, in terms of this good deed. I suppose for me, the thing is, will this simply end in another rejection for the creature? You know, the ones that he loves. He's he's had rejection from Victor at birth. Uh, Lily didn't want uh, to 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 be with him at yeah. all. Uh, neither did the actress. Led him to. Being um, kicked out of the theatre by <laughs> Vincent, the daughter of Mr. Putney, Lavinia, uh, at the Waxworks. You know, he thought she was kind and ended up really just fulfilling her dad's evil plan to mm-hmm. effectively put him behind bars and make him part of his gruesome act. So he's always found his kindness uh, or the love that he wants to give is a curse, with the exception probably of Vanessa. Um, and I'm just there going, Will this end in that being further solidified in his mind that his his former wife rejects him because of how he looks or his, his son or the fact that maybe because of his death that's why they find themselves in the workhouse? Yeah. Or is the rejection one from the fact that they're both dying in some ways, at least with his son? I, th- I think this could be really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, that this is almost like a seminal moment of the creature's um continued evolution of his um his feelings and and so on yeah Uh, but i i i'm kind of a little concerned for him that it's just going to be another rejection (laughs) from the ones that he loves or or gives love and kindness so easily in in this sense so um i thought this was really good on the flip side of that though i i love the fact that Vanessa is also remembering her past through mm-hmm. um, the, the, the new method of hypnotism that Dr. Seward has suggested that um, she uses so that they can see um, into the past. And this is certainly coming from the warning from the familiar who says that you have met the master before mm-hmm. in the, the, the great white room. And uh, you get this great um, hypnotism where Vanessa begins to remember, and the great white room being the padded cell of the Banning yes, Clinic, uh, really, show, yeah. really great. Yeah. Um, but what do we find here? We find an orderly bringing her her evening meal, and it is the creature. It yeah. is John Clare.
0: Now, would she? Ever, do you think she's recognised John Clare? i'm wondering uh, as the orderly because he, he does look massively different from what we've seen in john clare he looks much more like the original actor obviously there's any prosthesis uh, yeah. so he looks completely different i think so would vanessa recognize him when john clare gets his uh memories back will he recognize vanessa uh from that past as opposed to from the the many conversations that they've had in, in season two it, it's an um, interesting, interesting, one, interesting one isn't it yeah. because i
1: can't think that the creature's the master. No, in in this situation. But do, I I like the fact that their paths have crossed beforehand. Mm-hmm. Given uh, the intimacy underneath the colorific
0: arches yes. um of London, <laughs> yeah. uh, which w- was really really nicely done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and unfortunately, you've just said a second ago that the only person that never shunned him was Vanessa. And now. Potentially she has a reason to shun Jean Claire. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So he may unfortunately be left all alone, uh, after this revelation as well. But it was great to see Dr. Seward using this technique, I suppose, this technique of hypnotism on Vanessa to bring her back to this, to this state and bring her back to the Banning Institute because, um, it was a formative moment in her life, you know, and, and hearing her tell these stories to, uh, to Dr. Seward, um, who is treating her like a patient that she will try and cure and will try and help so uh, so hopefully this uh this hypnotism will help her out but um an intriguing one uh if she does connect it with the creature if she does connect this person that was feeding her while she was there will she accuse the creature of being the master now so uh, yeah yeah yeah.
1: it's uh there's a lot of intrigue here and Mm. i I like that there are these consequences coming from the creature discovering his own path that vanessa's doing the same thing and that at least unbeknownst to him at the moment Mm. he doesn't know that their paths have previously collided even in that small way
0: exactly yeah. exactly uh, weirdly my big moment from the episode i've already talked about uh i talked about it previously about the uh, uneasy alliance between hecate and ethan uh, so i'm actually going to talk more about um lily's plan in this episode i suppose because it is revealed in this episode about yeah. what's actually going on a uh, great scene back at that wonderful table in the center of london uh, which we know is in dublin castle um but that that the table where uh herself and Justine are sitting down looking at the protests that are happening from the suffragettes. And you know that Justine has slightly been uh, brought into this plan, this idea of the women of London rising up against their oppressors. And you see Justine kind of going, why don't you just join up with them? Or Lily res- responding to an unbidden question, I suppose, from Justine going, well, I'm not going to join up with suffra- suffragettes. We may have the same enemy, but their placards won't work. Uh, I love that that idea that she Says the only way of getting power is by going out and taking it and doing it silently and doing it behind the backs of everybody. That's the only way you're going to do it. If you stand out and go with blackguards, you're going to make yourself a target, which is the one thing that Lily doesn't want to be. She wants to make sure that she stands on the ruins of the men of, of Men of London. So uh, I really like that that whole conversation between the two of them as they're bringing Justine into their their group more. Um, we have the massive scene between the three of them. We have uh, Lily and Dorian and Justine uh, having sex in the blood of one of her victims. Like, they have just yeah. kill uh, kill a man in their apartment and then they have sex in the blood and it's it's almost a ritualistic thing where they induct her into this gang by making her kill this person and then they all have sex together in this moment you know it's a it's a really startling kind of image in, in it is it's hugely startling it's like
1: um you know Doreen talks about um that justin must prove her worth that as you say it's like this Induction. Uh, Dorian talks about the Naviant nuns offering their, their breasts, uh, cutting them off, mm. you know, again, to reduce temptation or the Roman, uh, legionnaire, uh, bathed in blood, you know, to kill the killing of their enemies. Um, and, uh, yeah, the killing of her former slave master that we saw at the start of episode two, like, it's really, really brutal. Yes. Um, because, you you don't see the stab wounds but she's she's going pretty crazy stabbing him Mm -hmm. sort of just at the top of the chest around the shoulder and then the camera pans back and you see these it's really good like makeup the way they've done it you see the the puncture wounds from her knife as she unleashes her rage against her former uh, captor Mm -hmm. and then you have this kind of blood orgy between Justine Dorian and and Lily. Yeah. Uh, I I found it very very carrie-esque actually. Mm. Uh them draped in this blood. Um I thought it was it was really shocking yeah. um very startling image um all for this this induction uh into building this army of um all the unseen women who pass through this great city of london exactly. you know, and it, it connects back to their conversation between lily and justine you know how do you accomplish anything in this life by craft by stealth by poison mm-hmm. you know uh, and as you say so the suffragettes really are not the example that lily wants here yeah. at all this is building an army an army of warriors, but followers. This yeah. is this is
0: almost cult-esque, um, in, in a sense. Yes. Uh, it's even down to Lily's... My favourite quote from the episode, actually, from Lily. Just the liberty is a bitch that must be bedded on a pile of corpses. Uh, it's the real essence of who the lily character is here in the show in this in this third season so uh really enjoyed that scene but uh but that's my big moment from the episode my second big moment because the other one i'd already talked about before <laughs> well it, it really is a
1: big moment the lily dorian thing this is when you realize how far it's gone for these two uh for sure mm-hmm. what a very startling and intriguing route this has gone definitely yeah. definitely
0: um i'd be slightly worried maybe if i was dorian uh without a doubt yes um i don't think that she's making any intentions that he's a leader alongside her uh by any means <laughs> no exactly <laughs> I think he's he's maybe providing his house and money uh in some, in some <laughs> yeah senses. exactly any notes from the episode that we haven't discussed i'm sure there's loads actually um yeah for me just the title good and evil braided
1: bee is this conversation between Victor uh, and uh, and Henry uh, about whether again it comes to this duality whether you can um be both which is what Victor feels is that you can have both aspects of light and dark within you mm-hmm. um whereas Henry Jekyll says no we are one or the other we must play our role mm. um so you know it, it's really interesting I, I think it's also a reference to um jekyll and, and victor uh combining yours and my work they describe that this is good and evil braided be that mm-hmm. the works of the two of them will be meshed together but they certainly have different views on uh, whether that can actually work or whether um they are both or one or the other so i I, I really like this i I, I find know. it a fascinating kind of uh concept yeah. of, of this idea of being good and evil or good, or evil. Yeah. Um, I wonder really which, uh,
0: which one of them will think of their work as good and which one thinks of their work as evil. Well, that's uh, true. That's true. <laughs> as well. Yeah. Uh, just a nice touch of the episode. Obviously we, we talked about it before the curing of Mr. Balfour. And now we have the interrogation from Victor to find out whether he is truly cured or whether there's been something uh, done by uh, Dr. Jekyll. Um, yeah, how quickly did you think that was going to drop? And how quickly did you think uh, Victor was going to have his, his nose bitten off by, by this guy? Because <laughs> yeah. it goes fast when he changes back. It, the the cure that Dr. Jekyll has created only lasts for a few hours, is what you find out here. Um, but, but I like that Jekyll's kind of saying to him, just step back a bit, Victor. You yeah. know, you are pretty close to this guy. Uh, and then there's the snap and it's instant. It's yeah. just as instant as the transformation to uh, the good version of Mr. Balfour, uh, the transformation back. So um, nice, nice little horror moment. Yeah, definitely. jump, jump scare. There.
1: yeah definitely um just coming on the hecate I, I like the fact she puts on the fatal english charm as she takes out the farmer and the farmer's wife mm-hmm. as they steal the horses and i like that as well back in Cascabel in the saloon where you've had the um unleashing of ethan's uh wolf uh, on on the uh the saloon that inspector rusk can I identify that there were two people involved here you see the animalistic ripping from yeah ethan mm-hmm. yet uh a couple of the people killed in um the saloon were done by hecate in a much cleaner less uh you know more precise manner i suppose
0: yes yes and he even i think he even says to this new lawman that's working with him that he needs to believe in the occult so A slight change from Rusk in season two, or I suppose development of Rusk in season two. We talked about the fact that he's willing to follow any lead, no matter where it takes him. Now we're saying, now we're showing that he knows where it leads him. It leads to the occult. It leads to things like werewolves because he's aware of them now. So, uh, so willing to to now tell other law people, guys, you know, don't discount anything. You don't know what's, uh, what could be out there, you know. Um, that's it for my notes for the episode. Anything else from you, John?
1: No, that's all from me as
0: well. Yeah overall what did you think of the start of start of season 3 of penny dreadful
1: to be honest i've i've really enjoyed connecting in with this i think it's a little more fragmented to be honest mm-hmm. it, it's you, you get snippets uh, of, of of different parts of this world in, in quite small chunks But after a couple of episodes, they're they're forming a bigger picture. Um, And I suppose that's normally how these things work. And maybe it's just because it's two of us. But it felt really difficult to pick out big moments because Mm -hmm. actually it's a lot of uh, small moments accumulated together. And I think that's why I've been trying to pick things from episode two when I discussed Dr. Jekyll's arrival uh, for my main point for episode one. Mm. Um, Otherwise, you'd miss out on some of these things. I think the touch with each character is... Um, much lighter than in the past Mm. uh, seasons. I think it might be that we, in in episode one, have seen the first and last time we see Mr. Lyle within Penny Dreadful. I hope not, but I I have a feeling um, he will be much more peripheral now in in season three, which Mm. is a shame. But I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm loving the new partnerships and how they're having to um, cope with or, or develop outside of that. I suppose, the relative um, companionship of the previous company. I was going to say safety, but I don't think anyone's ever really no safe, safe no uh, in, in this show. I mean, very intrigued by this dark, twisted route for for Lily and Dorian. I'm loving the fact that you've got Dr. Jekyll in there. I really mm-hmm. want to see how that develops. And I like how he's been paired up with... um with with victor frankenstein and of course having uh renfield and dr seward you know the these stores of the dracula tale uh reshaped and, and repurposed here by john logan is it, just really uh nicely done yeah. uh, and in particular that dr seward um is a relative of joan clayton mm-hmm. uh, the court wife of Ballantry moore what a great great idea I think at the moment I would give this four bittersweets out of five. I think it's still absolutely high quality um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it just takes a little bit more time to to get used to a, a slightly different pitter-patter of how the episodes go. Um, but certainly uh, as well, uh, I love Wes Stuzy here um, as Kayetney. Yeah. You know, uh, and him pairing up with some Alcum, And I, I think that's it. You want to spend a bit more time. You want, I think maybe we've been used to John Logan lingering with the characters mm-hmm. and really getting that luxury with them. And here, because of geography, and so on you you're moving around a lot more yeah Um, and you know and uh certainly with such a large ensemble now uh that means your time with them is a little more fleeting than Mm -hmm. than in the past or it's it's the the time is is accumulated over the episodes and so um i think that's why i've been as i say been just trying to sort of accumulate it together in a point on one of the episodes yeah yeah. So, yeah, I would give this four bittersweets out of five. Ah, that's Dr. Bittersweets, Dr.
0: Alexander bittersweets. <laughs> um, I, I really enjoyed the start of season three, but I, I do feel this impending sense of when does it get bad? Because this still feels like the same show as season two. It, it feels exactly the same to me and feels like it's the same characters. Uh, we know a lot more about the characters, so everything has a bit more weight to it everything that that we're seeing in this season it feels like you already know everything about the characters so when something's happening you're going oh i remember when that happened to the character which you didn't have as much of when you started the show because you didn't know much about them so now we're into season three we're introducing new character introducing dracula you know of all of all people um so we he also comes with his own weight as well you know dr jekyll comes with his own weight and own backstory so You're right. I do want to spend time with all of these characters, but they all come with a lot of knowledge in my head as to who they are. So uh, I'm expecting things to happen as the show goes on. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. But it's a good start to the third season of the show as to where we are right now.
1: Definitely. And I I think one of the things as well is, you know, Christian uh, Camargo, who plays Dr. Alexander Sweet, I think... Uh, his portrayal is really, really good. It really pulls on that charmingness of Dracula, that he can't, that almost mesmerism of what vampires do. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he's mesmerizing Vanessa with his charm yeah. in, in pure daylight. Oh, absolutely! Um, There's
0: even that scene where he has the uh, the local women of the community coming in to watch yeah, one, of his, exactly. one of his lectures, and you can tell all of them are just there because he's dr sweet we've got to go and see his lectures even though they have no interest in what he's talking exactly. about.
1: exactly <laughs> it, it, it you know that there's a real that there's a suave sexiness there that he's pulling on and that is really good for for dracula mm-hmm. um i think it, it really connects in with that sophisticated charmer and mesmerizer that dracula can be yeah. You know, and not just the grotesque. So I, I think that's uh, a, a nice thing. And I think it links very much back to uh, what John Clare says, you know, that the devil comes beautiful. It's mm-hmm. a siren. And uh, so it, you know, it
0: connects in with that quite nicely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us for our discussions for part six of Penny Dreadful about season three, episodes one to three. If you want to get in contact with us, you can email us at feedback at com, or you can pop over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. You can also sp- subscribe to the Dreadful podcast at dreadfulpodcast.com. Uh, leave us a review if you listen to us on any podcast catcher that has the ability to leave reviews. Uh, you can also subscribe to the main podcast at tvpodcastindustries.com. We've covered lots and lots of stuff. We're almost at 500 episodes of TV show coverage. Uh, so loads and loads of stuff there for you to listen to on the various shows Definitely. you might be interested in. We'll be back next time with our discussions about Penny Dreadful season 3 episodes 4 to 6. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you next time.
1: Yes, thank you so much, fellow darklings, for joining us. As always, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Remember, Keep watching, keep listening, and importantly, keep screaming. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye.